You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. At Word and Worship for June 2016, George Snayman is speaking to the Hands at Work community, encouraging us on how we love God and love our neighbors. Every day at Hands at Work, we strive to accept that we are just broken people brought together through God's grace and for His purpose. We try to get past our cultural differences and our personality clashes as we live together, pray together, eat together, and serve together. It's often hard, but Jesus told us that following Him would never be easy. He brought the disciples together to live in community, and they strove to live not in the culture that they had come from, but the kingdom culture. He described and called them to live by, and here's the words, forgiveness, acceptance, serving, giving, loving, prayer, and worship. I want to call this Seven principles if you want to know how to live a long and healthy life with God and with people around you. But we know that this is something that Hands at Work is already embracing. Because if you look at our core values, you'll see that our core values, if we embrace that as a community, it already covers these seven areas. We are taught to be accountable. We are taught to keep short accounts. So we, we are taught to be transparent and to be vulnerable. We are taught that it's about God first. So that time with God. So as a community, we are in a rhythm. And it's a very important rhythm because it keeps us in pace as we grow spiritually. And the moment we stop, if hands must stop doing this rhythm, if we say, well, just for the next six months, you know what, let's just flow as we feel. We still do our work, but don't worry too much about the meetings. You know what will happen? This community will just backslide, right? We will fall apart. Our relationships will fall apart. Our growth of God, the, it will just not work. We as people, that's called discipleship. That's called growing. That's like, uh, well, a good example is like Christy and Jen going to do their first 10-kilometer race <laughs> next weekend. I hope all of you are going to be there at the mall with banners, with banners. Come on, Christy. Ooh, come on, Jen. Okay? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many people will still be left. But we're going to stand. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but we're going to camp out there and wait for them, right? But they didn't just get up one morning and say, we're going to do a 10 kilometer. This is a long road. And they had to go into a rhythm. They had to make commitments to do the park run on a Saturday and to do time trials on a Thursday and then to do extra runs. They said to me, what, what can we do to get ready for a 10? I said, you've got to run an 8. So they, on a Saturday, they went to Mark Tucker's where he's staying. They, they ran the 8. 
they actually even ran further to prepare themselves. They've got a goal, and they knew that they had to get into a rhythm to achieve that goal. And if, if Christy said to Jen every second time, Jen wanted to practice, skip me this time, do you think she'll be ready for that then? Jen will grow. All of us will see Jen that day doing the 10, and Christy will fail because she did not stick to the rhythm. There's a reason for a rhythm. And the same with your heartbeat. Your heartbeat is in a rhythm. There's a reason for that. And the moment your heartbeat goes out of its rhythm, you are in trouble because your heartbeat is pumping the blood into the vital organs and places in your body for your brain to work, for your stomach to process that wheelbarrow full of bad food that you've put in there the previous night. So you, <laughs> you've got to grow, like you've got to be in a rhythm. Now, that's the same with us as a community. And that's why we do it. But friends, this community is not going to pull you through that line. Just as much as Jen cannot pull Christy through that winning line if Christy doesn't stick to her own rhythm. And if there's one message I can give you over and over and over, and I do it lots of time with you individually, I'm doing it this morning corporately, you, you must get into a rhythm yourself. You cannot piggyback on somebody else's rhythm. You've got to. And, and you know, for a year, for two years, you can ride on the Monday morning prayer and worship, but somewhere, somewhere, something is going to happen. And you're going to be out of your depth. And the rest of us are going to go through that thing. And it's because you do not have your own rhythm. You didn't develop your own stamina. You, you didn't develop. And so you can ride on that momentum for a while. But eventually the gap between you and the rest of the community who are in the rhythm individually is just going to grow bigger and bigger. And eventually you're going to feel alienated from the community. You're going to feel people don't care. But it's because they continue to grow. That's <coughs> what we say. As hands of community, we are committed to live a devotional life. If I can define it for you, I think it's Webster's definition. They say this about devotion. A feeling of strong love or loyalty. A feeling of strong love or loyalty. A quality of being devoted. And then the second line in that definition, it says this. The use of your time, your money, and your energy for a specific purpose. So, this morning, as we talk about a devotional life, I talk to you as individuals and as us as a corporate body. Then I'm saying to you, each one of us must practice these seven principles as much as we as a community must practice that. Now, the fact that we practice as a community, you know why we do that? It's because we wanted to create a platform for each one of you as individuals to have the most friendly user environment possible so that you can do those seven things as an individual. Does that make sense? So if you stay in a commune with 
six drunkards and blasphemers and guys partying the whole night and immoral people, it is very tough for you to practice these seven principles. You can, but it's very tough and distracting. In hands, we are trying to create a platform so that you as an individual can practice this. But the danger of doing that is that you can actually think that the corporate rhythm is enough for you. And it's not. You're not going to make it. It's not going to pull you through. So when we talk about this devotional life, it obviously starts with God. It starts with God in the finest hour of the day. I mean, again, if we go back to, to the race, or we go to a big day that I have today, I've got a very important meeting, and I've got to be prepared, deeply prepared. When is the best possible time for me to prepare? Is it while I'm talking to Carolyn and eating? Is it running and having six other meetings and quickly take 10 minutes and do it? <laughs> is it at the end of the night when I'm dead tired? Or is it when I wake up in the morning and I'm fresh, I'm sharp, and there's nothing distracting me? Isn't that the time that you would have used if, you, if you're in trouble, if you really have to prepare for the best, biggest day of your life? That's the same with God. That's where our rhythm starts. So I want to read to you uh, a piece from Basilia Schlink when she speaks about our relationship with God. She used Psalm 63 to start with, and she used this verse, Early will I seek you. Isn't that beautiful? Listen to this choice. Early will I seek you. She used Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. You know, if you get satisfied with God's love the first thing in the morning, you will cope with whatever anger and hate and challenges get thrown at you because you've received a healthy dose of love. To start with. And so she asked these challenging questions. Am I faithful in keeping my morning quiet time? Do I give the Lord the first hour of the morning so that He may equip me for the day ahead? Do I use my morning quiet times which determines my whole day? Do I remember that after having read the Bible, I cannot worship. Now listen to the things that she say we must do in our quiet time. After I've read the Bible, I cannot worship or intercede for other people before I've confessed my sins before Jesus, asking Him to forgive me. Do I praise Jesus then and thank Him for the complete redemption that He gave me over my sins? Do I praise the power of His blood, which cleanses and frees me of all my sin? Friends, if we early in the morning, 
read the Bible, and we become quiet, and we, we are honest, we take stock, and we confess our sins. That, that things that keep you awake, that things that you know, and you experience that liberation of forgiveness, that dose of love where God say, when you confess to me, I am faithful, I will forgive you. And you experience that forgiveness. We know how it feels when somebody say, Tommy, I forgive you. Imagine your deepest flaws being forgiven to you in the morning. God say, Nico, I forgive you. And you experience that forgiveness. And you go into the day with that, knowing that morning that you've been forgiven. Do I commit myself, my wishes, my desires, my plans, my soul and my mind and my time into God's hand? Do I let Him rule? Do I let Him lead me according to His will? We can only do these things all seven of those points that I spoke about have been covered now, as I read to you. Reading the Bible, praying, seeking God, asking forgiveness, worshipping, giving your time, serving Him. Everything has been given. If you start in the morning and you do that the first thing, of course, that lays the foundation. Without that, in fact, I want to suggest to you it's impossible for you to practice this loving, giving, serving, praying with other people in the day if you have not experienced and done it with your father first thing in the morning. It's only your father as you connect with him and you worship him and you receive forgiveness and you spend your time with him and it's only as that happens that He will equip you and strengthen you to go into the day and cope, not just cope, but do those seven principles that will give you a long and healthy life. Otherwise you can't. It's in your own strength. Of course you're going to fail. Of course you're going to be up and down. Of course you're going to be offended. You're going to struggle. But it's only as we walk with God so, let us just look at what it means in our time with each other in a normal day. I want to just take all of them quickly. We've spoken about spending time with God each day. That's the beginning. So, I want to take the seven things that we spoke about very briefly. Prayer. I want to talk about prayer quickly. Let me ask you this question. At any one time, if I come to you on a Thursday afternoon in three weeks' time and I ask you, Prudence, who are you praying for specifically right now? Can you tell me? I do not want you to feel condemned this morning, okay? I want to stir you up. I want to tell you, you are like a person that has got the most incredible ability to change people's lives. My question is, do you change their lives? So as a couple, Carolyn and I, who did we intercede for this morning when we prayed? Specifically, who's on our hearts right now? And ask me, why are they on our hearts? 
If you at any moment got people that if I, if we are transparent, if I must ask Jen and Dan, who are you interceding for right now? As a couple, as individual, have you got specific names? If not, really? I mean, really? When last did you make yourself vulnerable to other people? When last did you go to somebody and say to them, I'm struggling, I want you to pray for me. You know, yesterday this happened, or today, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm not just saying, hey, will you pray for me? I need, I, I mean vulnerable. When last did you become vulnerable to somebody? And say, I struggle with this sin. I can't cope with this person. Help me, help me. Sometimes we've got people that can help us that we feel very comfortable with. I visited Carolyn and my spiritual parents who are now very old. But I had the privilege to sit with them for a few hours on Saturday. And they were talking to me. And you know, Cynthia, um, she, she said to me, you know, George, you know that every night Johnny gets up for one and a half or two hours. Every night, in the middle of the night, he gets up. And then I listen to him as he walks around and he prays. And I just hear, George, Carolyn, George. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Hey? I've got a spiritual father and mother that are interceding for me every night. He gets up, and he's an old man. He's standing for us. So I obviously feel very comfortable to go to them and say to them, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I struggle with this. I want to run away. I want to give up. Pray for me. But then sometimes I've got to become vulnerable to other people that are close to me here. When last did you ask people for prayer? Really vulnerable. And let me just say to you, here's a test if you believe in prayer. If you haven't done it, it's clear you don't believe in the power of prayer. Simple as that. If you are not praying for somebody right now, specific, it's clear you don't, you don't believe in prayer you think it's a myth you think it's a religious whatever do you pray? well that tells me if you believe in it do you become vulnerable to people when you desperately need? that tells me if you believe in prayer if you don't, you don't believe in prayer now don't feel condemned but keep going, believe in prayer understand that that's the most powerful thing that we can do Worship. We know that we worship corporately and that's beautiful. But I want to put worship and serving and giving together. That's one thing. Um, casting crowns say, lifting holy hands up high. What's the words I use? Lifting holy hands up high. How sad it is if that is your life. If it's not backed by the way you walk. By the way you serve and give. Anybody can stand like this and worship on a Friday morning. It means nothing if it's not backed by the way you walk and the way you serve people. Do you worship personally? Do you worship as a family? Do you worship this way and serving and giving? And I want to just speak to us as Hans family. Okay? I want you to hear me now very carefully. I want to speak to you about serving and giving. In the world, 
we look for sexy things to serve and give. A hungry kid is in a world, it's, or a lonely child, it's sexy to give and care. And you know, we push that, right? All of us that I know you are involved. Some of us have adopted children. Some of us are bringing them home over weekends. Some of us are paying for their school fees. Some of, but all of us are involved in that. I'm not saying don't do it. That's our very call, do it. But I'm asking you, first of all, you've been placed in this community. And this is not sexy to give and serve here. There are children in this community that some of you are ignoring. But you've got children in your house every weekend and you feed and look after other kids. And I'm saying George first here. We must do the other. But first and foremost, God has put you in this community. And we say we start here and we work out. If we can't do it here and we do it there, what are we? We are hypocrites, right? Because we say to the world, look at me, I fetch that child, I do that. I'm saying to you, what does your neighbor's child say about you? I want us to reach out there, but not at the cost of ignoring the very people that live a stone throw away from you. So worship, serving, and giving starts here in this heart. I even want to suggest it goes then from here to Farai's children and to Eric and Lydia before it even goes out further into the field. Our own families in a hands community where we say we are together. That's what we say. That means we are, I mean, I was very blessed. I just know, I, I just heard last night we came back from the running and I heard um, this whole group of you going to some fancy place tonight to go and eat <laughs> food. That's your church. I know. I mean, tell God that. Um, <laughs> but um, I just heard that you guys, who are you taking with you and whatever, it made my heart feel so warm. I love that. Let's remember each other. Let's start here. Let's start caring for each other in this community. And then we work it out. And that's the same as the Great Commission, right? Tell the gospel in Jerusalem first. Jerusalem, your own community. Then Judea, like-minded people. Same. Then Samaria, and then the uttermost part. The Greek word used there is simultaneous. So you don't sort Jerusalem out before you go to the next one. You do everyone. But you start home. And that's normally the place that's the least sexy. If that's the word that is used. Start home. Let's do it right. Forgiveness, acceptance, and love. Eesh. They are the tough ones. <laughs> right? They're the ones to walk out with. The other ones up to now, we can kind of spiritually feel it and say yes, but now it comes to forgiveness and acceptance and love. And you know, forgiveness, you've got to understand, forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's like there's a lot of places, spiritual growth, 
like joy and happiness. Joy is not a feeling, happiness is. If you bring me a, a health bar today and I get it, and it's a nice one that's healthy, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. My flesh will be happy. I'll smile. It's not joy. This morning, Morgan and I and some people have been up since 4 o'clock on social media and stuff. But when I and Carolyn sat and prayed, after all of that, I held that we prayed, I had a joy in my heart. I had a joy in the midst of really hurting. Really hurting. There was a joy in my heart. That's the same with forgiveness. You choose to forgive because you have been forgiven. And quite frankly, I'm not quite sure yet. Jesus will tell us one day. But I would love to one day become like him where I can forgive and actually not saying shikh, but you know. But we are human, so you're going to have that thing. But you choose to forgive. And you walk that out. And I've told you, when I was a student of Karen, we had neighbors that literally lived, we lived in rooms like this in a room next to us. And that guy took a knife this long and he put it right through my back, through my spine, through my eyes. I mean, he nailed me to the tree. Completely from a blind sight. I never saw it coming. He left me to hang. And God said to me, forgive. And friends, I had to live next to this man. I saw him 20 times a day. And he was a hypocrite, like he never did it. And ha, hey, you know. And every time I saw him, there was an anger in me. And I would literally run to my room. Literally. I'll run in a room, close the room, close the door, fall on my knees next to my bed and start blessing him. Jesus, bless him. Bless his family. Bless him today. Help him. And every time I got off my knees, there was an inch of less weight to the place where I could embrace that man and say, you're my brother. But I had to walk it out. Friends, if I didn't, I would not have been here today and I wouldn't have been in hands. Because it would have killed me. Quickly, early in my ministry. Forgive is, is a choice you make and then you walk it out until you feel like it. It's the same with all of us. I mean, we're all homesick, right? I, lo- I long for my daughter and my son-in-law and my grandchildren. You long for your homes. You walk it out. We don't run. We, we walk it out. We say, I feel like this, but I'm, over- I'm going to overcome this feeling because I'm not driven by feelings. I'm driven by what's the truth, by God's call in my life and where he's placed me. So we make a choice to forgive. To accept is exactly the same thing. Now with acceptance, I just want to say this. You will never accept people you don't like. And, and uh, in this room, there will be somebody that you don't like. Most probably me, but anyway. <laughs> Here's the thing. You will never accept people you don't not like until you have got a real view of yourself. Until you look in a mirror honestly and say, your breath stinks when you get up in the morning. You are actually a miserable person to be with when you're under pressure. You are actually so selfish when this happens. Until you're honest with yourself and you know how unlovable you are in so many times. And so many people are so gracious to you. Until you understand the truth about that, 
And you don't intimidate people, in, even your family, especially your family, that they're not allowed to say it to you. But they can say it to you. Until then, you're going to struggle to accept people that you don't like. You know what the symptom is when you don't like people, you can't accept them. You know what the symptom is? You actually think you are smart and likable. And you think that person is stupid and not likable. And that's why you've got the right not to like that person. But if you know that many times you are extremely unlikable, <laughs> then you will overcome it when you sit with somebody that drives you up the wall. And you'll accept him, you'll really embrace him, because you know that you also drive other people up the wall. One beggar showing grace to another beggar. One unlikable person being nice to another unlikable person. And if one of you say in your heart now, well, you don't know. If you don't know if you're unlikable, come and talk to us. We'll tell you. <laughs> okay? I get reminded enough how unlikable I can be. <laughs> but if you live under a dream that you're actually likable, the rest of us can tell you. But it's nothing to feel. You're just a human being. Somebody said you're an angel under construction, right? Well, with some of us, the construction hasn't started yet. And then to laugh. The only way love can become real to us. So we spoke about forgiveness and acceptance, right? And we say, you know what? You walk it out. You don't think about it. You don't discuss it. You, it's, a Nike, it's a Nike decision. You just do it. And friends, if you don't forgive and if you don't accept, you must understand it's called spiritual suicide. You put the gun against your own head and you pull the trigger. You will not grow to the potential God has called you and you will not survive if you cannot do it. You will commit spiritual suicide. So you're going to have to do it. It's one of those things where your mother gives you that syrup to drink. <laughs> you just close your nose and you drink it. You're going to forgive somebody? Close your nose and forgive him. Let it go. Let it go. It's as simple as that. But love, and this is our last one, love is something that I believe we've got the skewest understanding of in the whole world. It's the worst word in our vocabulary. And it's because it's abused so much. I love rugby, you love baseball, we love running, we love food, we love, I love Carolyn, I love Jesus. I mean, what does it mean? So for me to say to you, you've got to love Morgan, we, all of us have got a different view of what it means. But basically it boils down to try and be nice to Morgan. That's about as what we come agreement in love. And that's not love. So scripturally, I would love to <laughs> get us to... to Memorize the scriptures. One of the first scriptures that we got our children also to memorize. To memorize a scripture in 1 Corinthians. We say love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. You know, you, you, you've got to go and sit and get this thing under your belt. 
And then, if you struggle to love, you look at it and you say, am I patient? Am I kind? Love always hopes. Love always endears. Love never gives up. Never gives up. <coughs> it's never over. There's always another shot. There's always another chance. Always. And so for you, if you want to know love, memorize those three verses in 1 Corinthians 13. I think it's from verse 4, yeah, to verse 7. Memorize them. Say them out. Like you've got to memorize the, the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit. If you want the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you, you've got to know what you want Him to do in you, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You've got to know that fruit. And so when you are impatient, whose fruit are you bearing? You're not going to know this if you guys, if we do not dig into the Word. And you're not going to dig into the Word if you do not spend time doing it. I'm closing with this. The proof is in the pudding. But you know, the proof is in the pudding. At the end of the day, things come up. And the way we respond proves. We can try and make it up. We can try and have excuses. But the proof is in the pudding. And as, as tough as it is for all of us to hear this, I want to say to you, as much as John said, if you say you love God, but you do not love your neighbor, you're a liar. As much as John, the one who loved, he's called the disciple who loved, said this, I want to say to you, if you say to me you love Jesus or you love God and you do not give him the best time of your day, you're a liar. You're a liar. And I'm stating this on this. The proof is in the pudding. Don't tell me you love somebody and you can't give him the best time of your day. I won't believe you if he tells it about me. That's as simple as that. Now, if you this morning, your heart is pumping at 189, you're very angry, I want to ask you to say to yourself, why don't you give him the best hour of the day? Why? Think about it. Close your eyes and think, and be honest with God. Say to him, those of you that don't, say to him in his face, why you don't give him the best time of the day. Tell him. Let's, let's talk to him. He deserves your honesty. Tell him. Say to him that it's just not important enough. Say to him you'd rather watch Facebook. Talk to him. Or you'd rather prefer to sleep half an hour late. It's more important than him. Tell him. Tell him that.
How do you think he feels about that? Well, one thing I can tell you is his love for you isn't less. And he's going to hunt you down. He's going to chase you because he loves you. And all he does, you just hurt him. That's all you do. He's not going to change his love. He's not changing his commitment. But he hurts. Just like you and I would hurt if we flatly ignore each other. So under a law, if I say to you, you must have quiet time, you're never going to do it. It's like telling a smoker you're going to get cancer. It's not going to work. But if you perhaps catch a glimpse how much he loves you and how he cries for time with you and how he's got so much to tell you and to forgive you and to prepare you for the day, I think that might be something that might motivate you. And it's only when you start there that you can pray for others, that you can forgive them, that you can accept them, and that you can walk with them. You can only do those things if you've been with your daddy and he's prepared you for that. So it's not just about him. Every time you don't meet with him, the rest of us are suffering also because we don't have what he had for you that day to give us. So in a, in a sense, you actually don't love us either. You're not committed to us either. In fact, you know, friends, it really is you're not committed to the children either because the challenges you're going to face today that needs to be solved where you need wisdom beyond your own ability can only come if you sit with him and he imparts in you. So your love for him, your love for us, your love for the children, all of it is connected. He loves you. And he's hungry for you. Thank you for joining us. Double, double, double dot hands at work.org.